McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hello Pompey fans and welcome to the PO Forecast episode 117. It has been a really strong week for the Blues. So we've had two home games, we asked for six points and we received six points, but from two very different matches. You might be able to tell already that unlike Pompey, we've been forced into a bit of a change in our lineup this week. Hugh is unfortunately unable to lead the line because he is unwell, so we're down a man. So while Hugh is down in the whiskies that we have prescribed to him, get well soon, Hugh, we thankfully still have Freddie Webb, who is here in good health. Freddie, how are you doing this week? Yeah, I'm doing. I'm not too bad. I've had a busy week, um, just prepping for interviews and writing a load of stuff. And yeah, with Blues getting six, six, the six points they needed and free, free wins and free clean sheets in the first three games, you can't ask for much more than that, can you? Absolutely not. It's not been uh, not been the worst week possible. What what um what have you got lined up interview wise, Fred? Are you moving from the student world into the uh, the adult employed miserable world? Well, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, we'll, we'll see how the interviews go, shall we? Um, I've had I had one yeah. earlier this week. Had have one tomorrow, in fact. So we'll see. We'll see how it awesome. goes. Awesome. I'm sure everyone's keeping their fingers crossed, like we are at the PO forecast. Plan of action for today then, uh, minus our Supreme Leader Hugh Bunce. We are going to have a chat about the wins against Crew Alexandra on Saturday afternoon in Shrewsbury on Tuesday night before answering the question that we asked you this week, which was, with some of the strong signings Pompey now have on the bench, should the Cowleys be rotating the starting eleven or keeping to a successful winning formula? And then finally, we're going to be previewing a potential Pompey reunion this weekend coming up with Ben Close and Omar Bogle at Doncaster. Before we get into the football, Hugh um, asked us to just say a huge thank you to those of you who logged on to Buy Me A Coffee last week and donated some of your hard-earned money, or in Freddie's case, earned money in student loan, to the podcast (laughs) to help with the hosting, the software and the equipment costs. So a massive thank you to Dan Strophair, Chris Moat, Kate Mottishead, Dan, Warren, Holland, and Pompey and Canberra for supporting the podcast. So I don't think I've missed anyone there, but we are extremely grateful. Thank you so much. Uh, We do really enjoy doing this, um, doing it for free, but we're beyond grateful for your support. So if you do have a couple of pounds lying around and you want to buy Hugh a coffee um, for his sessions at 4am, normally cutting out all of the rubbish that Freddie and I have spent an evening spouting, you can support the pod at buymeacoffee.com forward slash PO forecast, but there's literally no pressure to do it we're going to keep doing the podcast either way yeah yeah, that's Um, one thing to stress that's one thing to stress you absolutely do not have to give us your hard-earned money um or even your not earned money just 
Do you yeah, precisely. Of him? <laughs> um, but we also wanted to say hello to Luke Burr, who has messaged in saying he's using the pod and the Pompey Games to survive two weeks of quarantine at the Darwin Quarantine Facility in Australia, uh, which I believe is known for being quite a bit less pretty in terms of views than most of the rest of Australia. So I hope things are going well with you, Luke. And then the final bit of admin is um, if you do enjoy listening to the podcast or if you don't and want to voice your anger at the rubbish we chat, please do go onto Apple Podcasts and drop us a review on there, whether it's five star or one star, preferably up the higher end. Has to be but, five, you know, star. We, five star, yeah, obviously. Yeah, we've got to respect people's honesty. Um, but yeah, having, having more reviews on there really does help us spread the podcast to more listeners. We're just showing up on people's homepages on Apple. So, yeah, please go on there. It literally takes 30 seconds to click how many stars you think Freddie's beard deserves on a week-by-week basis. Uh, Right, to the football. This is what we're here for, Fred. After you sparked a bit of debate about the north-south divide in the Pompey, uh, the Fat and Faithful, uh, it's been a pretty successful week for the Blues. Uh, From memory, correct me if I'm wrong, you said you would be happy with four out of six points from these two games. So it sounds like Pompey have exceeded your sort of expectations. Uh, what have your overall thoughts been on the week that sees Pompey finishing it at the top of the table? Yeah, absolutely. I think I had in my head that four points. I would accept four points. I wouldn't be. I wasn't. I wouldn't have been entirely happy with it. I would have just accepted it for what it was and moved on if it was four points. But definitely getting the two wins—that's massive. A massive thing especially since the teams that Pompey played against were pipped to finish lower in the division for people who, for in the experts' opinion, and on League One. So that's always a bonus. And two very different games as well. We were, we were going to go up against Crew, who were, who, were, who were more dogmatic in their approach. They're very forward-thinking, focusing on passing and so on. And Shrewsbury, who are the exact opposite of that, always make the game very difficult, very physical, a very hard team to play against. And in both scenarios, Pompey got the jo- job done to a greater or lesser extent. That dogmatic, Fred. That's a strong word. I like that. I'm going to have to Google <laughs> that afterwards. I'm assuming. What, what does that mean, Fred? Is it Unasha- like a- unashamedly doing the same thing? Or be, oh, or, I like or, it. Or supporting your values very, very, very highly, effectively. That word of the day, toilet paper, is <laughs> coming in handy, hey? Um, but yeah, so first Saturday back at Fratton Park with sort of a no limit on uh, on attendance, which was obviously pretty exciting for to everyone to be back involved. And yeah, everyone's got their own pre-match routines, so we'll do a bit of free advertising for the staggeringly good brewery in Fratton. Beautiful place to go and get some IPAs before the game. And I think there was just such a feel-good vibe before the game in terms of, you know, seeing people who've got the season tickets around you. And I'm sure everyone who's got a season ticket or even just goes to any games at Fratton will sort of empathise with this in terms of, you know, you might not even know the people's names around you or anything about them other than what you chat about at football. But it's just nice to see everyone was still around and you know, catch up with some people we haven't seen for ages. I mean, Fred, I'm assuming you saw a couple of sort of familiar faces up at the Fleetwood game um, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, 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 it just made you, it, it was like you weren't away almost. It was, it was being in the exactly the same environment as it was the last time I was there. So yeah, I, I enjoyed that immensely and I'm sure you did as well. Yeah, it was. there's a couple of sort of big changes in terms of kids who are 10 or 11 years of age have suddenly grown about three feet since I last <laughs> saw them. But other than that, it literally could have mm-hmm. been March 2020. The game itself. So crew, obviously in a bit of trouble, Fred, off the pitch. They've got contract disputes going on, as we chatted about last week on the podcast. And 
it's probably not going to be the toughest game Pompey have at Fratton this season. But I think rather than sort of taking that as a primary angle, would you say that it's important to give credit where it's due? Because every game in this league is a potential banana skin, really. Yeah, absolutely. I thought Pompey controlled, controlled most of the game. First half, Pompey had the better of the chances, statistically and just by looking at the game. Overlapping runs from Curtis and Harness on both sides. The midfield controlled it, pressured crew, regained possession and maintained it. And had a few and had a few decent chances. Um Harness, Harness's close range shots when um Curtis on the edge of the area played a through ball to Brown, who overlapped, and then put it on a plate for Harness. He started the move actually, but it was a great save by Yaskalina, and I was very surprised uh, he saved it, made himself very big. Could have easily got could have easily gone been one all up at that stage. Um I'm not sure what it were what you thought of it being at the ground, if you had a different feeling to that, but uh, from listening to it on the radio and looking at the stats afterwards, Pompey seemed on top, and they were from the pressing stats and other things. Yeah, it was it was an interesting first half actually, because as you say, Pompey were absolutely on top, and the ball wouldn't just quite break for that final, you know, the final time it needed to in the box, for example. And as you say, that the one save from Yaskalainen and from Harness was honestly fairly ridiculous getting a hand out it was a one of the better saves I've seen I was going to say I've seen live for a while but I've not seen that many games at all live for a while for obvious reasons but yeah really strong save and it would have been really easy I think for Pompey to be frustrated at halftime or even for the fans in the crowd to be a little bit worried at halftime that it could turn into a frustrating afternoon because it was dominant especially in centre midfield and we're going to talk about Tunnicliffe and Williams on the pod repeatedly today, I'd imagine they just completely owned centre midfield. They dominated. There wasn't a crew centre midfield as far as I was concerned watching that game. But at, at half time, were you worried it was going to turn into a frustrating afternoon or were you fairly confident that the ball was going to break for the Blues eventually? It was just one of those things where I assumed that as soon as Ports were scored their first goal, they'd be fine because before that crew didn't create any chances. Unlike in the Shrewsbury game where they built pretty prudence that they built on their slower start. Crew didn't really. They didn't offer much at all. So immediately in the second half, I thought it's going to have to, it's going to break eventually. One of the chances that will fall will get past the keeper. And it definitely did in the second half. It, it was crew sat in defensively a bit since Pompey pressed them very highly. And that dribble from Tunnicliffe in the middle of the pitch all the way forward it, it, near the penalty area, that, that was an excellent dribble because not only did it Take away, uh, take away one of the centre midfielders, but it moved one of their centre halves up. Then Marquis made that run in between the line, lovely through pass to him, and Marquis slotted it in from the corner very, very well. It doesn't. It, some people criticised him last season for various things, like first touch, for example. Doesn't matter what his what his first touch is like if he's taking it on first time, putting it right in the corner. That was an excellent shot, an excellent goal, which Pompey built from. Yeah, as you say, there was. I mean, where where Tunnicliffe picks up the ball there. If you if you watch the highlights back and pause it as the ball gets played to him, there, he's got no real right to create a chance from there. But the way he sort of lets the ball run across his body in field slightly, and one of the crew, uh, crew players slightly loses his footing, and Tunnicliffe just takes that split second to sort of push through the gap in centre midfield and and pick out Marquis. And as you say, it's a, it's an unstoppable finish far corner in off the post there was a, there was a big feeling of relief around Fratton Park as that as that went in and sort of broke the deadlock because it meant that the crew were going to have to go for it a bit more we thought and potentially going to create even more spaces because there wasn't 
there wasn't a real feeling of danger at any point. And I don't know if you felt the same, Fred, but I mean, even after the second goal, which we'll cover in a moment, I mean, I, my prediction on the pod last week was 3-1 Pompey. And I remember looking at the scoreboard with about 20 minutes left when Pompey were 2 nil up. And I was 100% sure that my prediction wasn't going to be correct because I couldn't see Cruz scoring. Even though technically, you know, all it took was one goal each and I'd have got it dead on. I can't remember the last time I felt like that in a Pompey game with 20, 25 minutes left. And I was just convinced we were going to keep a clean sheet. Uh, was that something you felt as well, Fred? Or were you a bit more bit more nervy at the back? No, I completely agree with you. I, I had no doubts whatsoever. I think probably the last time I felt like that properly, there would have been a game in League One under Kenny Jacket, which would have been like that. I think one of the three nil wins against Wimbledon, AFC Wimbledon, I think. The Pompey, Pompey have definitely had those games where they just played really well, out, outplayed their, their opposition and shut up shop excellently but in this game it was Pompey's press that just completely eradicated Crew's build-up play where they didn't as you said they didn't have any midfield they didn't have any build-up play really to start with there's a stat called PPDA passes per defensive action and Pompey's stat for that was 4.98 and that is exceptionally high it's exceptionally high where the lower the number is the higher the press is so Pompey were basically on top of Crew pretty much the entire game game. 4.98 is a, a very High press. What's yes. a more normal? What's a more normal number for an average uh, and, game? An, an average, average is about not... eight or nine, somewhere between okay, eight to amazing. ten. Purely from watching it from an observer's perspective, the amount of times Pompey won the ball back in that crew defensive third or forced an error from the crew defensive third was absolutely incredible. The number of times that just pressuring the crew back line or their centre midfielders who dropped deep and forced them into either a, a misplaced pass or playing it straight out of play. It was absolutely staggering how it just worked over and over again. And yeah, it just played throughout the game. They never got any rhythm going whatsoever. Um, and again, time will tell whether or not that's going to be a recurring theme with crew this season and how much of an achievement that was, but they, they didn't get a look in. If we go back slightly to the second goal, again, a lovely switch on the turn, I think it was from Curtis. And then, again, Tunnicliffe with another assist. Harness with the finish, I think, looking back upon it, Yaskalainen will be quite disappointed he didn't save it. Um, sort of near post, kind of somehow squirmed through his legs as he went down. I'm not entirely sure how it really went in, to be honest with you. But that two-goal deficit just takes away any doubt, I think, anyone in the ground had at that point that Pompey were going to get the three points. What were your thoughts, Fred, on, on Tunnicliffe and Williams? Because... We've already said that the centre midfield was basically owned by Pompey. And they've obviously, you know, Joe Morell has come in as well. There's a little bit of competition there, depending on what system's going to be played. What were your thoughts on Tunnicliffe and Williams in the middle of the park for Pompey in this game? I thought they were both excellent. Uh, And the key thing is at both ends of the pitch, they were both excellent because we mentioned that the close and nailer pairing although it could have been very good at times, sometimes it was imbalanced where it was obvious whose job it was. One player was had the entire job of, def- of, de- of protecting the back four. The other had the entire job of being the linchpin between the defence and the attack. But in this time, Tunnicliffe and Williams did both. Williams, out of the two of them, was slightly more defensive and I saw him a lot in, in, in his own penalty area defending. But Tunnicliffe did that as well. Tunnicliffe was proper box-to-box at both sides. And it was a dominant... Pompey midfield, which many of the fans hadn't seen in a long time, and it wasn't just the centre midfield pairing. I think it was it was the midfield three in front of them as well. For Harness's goal, he 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 won back possession and then recycled it all the way to the back four. 
then the ball went all around to the back four and then for, then forward again. And it was just a, it was a complete midfield performance that shut out the the entire game. I was very impressed. Mm. Yeah, I I was sat there struggling to remember a more dominant and comfortable performance that I've seen live. I really couldn't think of many in the in the last few years where it's just not been in doubt whatsoever. And Pompey just controlled the tempo of the game. You felt like they could win the ball back as and when they needed to. And really, I didn't I didn't really feel like Pompey went out of third or fourth gear over the duration of the game. Mm. And it was very much game management. Um, a couple of other honourable mentions, I guess. It was nice to see Michael Jacobs come on, got a good reception. Interesting, again, I quite like to see him come on and play in cam. Curtis stayed on the left. Um, Jacobs played centrally, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, and also Hurst coming on. Um, first time I've seen him play live because I didn't go to the away games uh, in the week before. Again, he made a couple of nice moves, little flicks and touches, which shows confidence on the ball. There were a couple of little one-touch sort of back heel flicks trying to set up um, opportunities. Nice to see some confidence there. Um, what else do you, have you got to say about the game, Fred? I mean, it was it was pretty well-rounded, right? Do you want to, do you want to comment on either of those two players or potentially uh, on Bazunu in the game? Yeah, it, it was very well-rounded. Bazunu did, didn't really have much to do in goal. He was very assured. He definitely had more to do in the next game. Hurst from the Fleetwood game, yeah, like many target like target men type strikers, I can tell he's got a very good awareness off the ball, knows where he wants to play the passes to link in other people and and challenge against the centre-half. Those are very good traits for any striker like that to have. Nice to see Jacobs come on. He could potentially play Cam with the technical ability he has. I haven't seen him play there a lot. Obviously, I've only seen him play out wide whenever I've seen him, so that'll be a strange one for the Cowleys. Some of the main thing is, some of the passing stats for this game, ridiculous. Ridiculous passing stats for these games. Progressive passes where it goes across significantly up the pitch. 79% success rate, which is mental from over 100 passes. And Cowley mentioned that repeatedly in some of his interviews before this season. And when I looked at the players who Cowley brought in, a lot of those players are very adept at making those progressive passes and good passes to the final third. Um, Passes with intent, mainly. That's the big thing. Because Cowley keeps on talking about it doesn't matter how much possession you have, it's what you do with the ball. And you have to go forward quickly to uh, create very good chances. And Pompey did very, very well with that. Very, very well. Very impressed. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's pretty much all there is to say at this point about the crew game. I think, yeah, Bazunu did extremely well uh, with what he needed to do, which was relatively little. Um, he was actually in the centre circle at one point in the game, which uh, was an interesting thing to look up at from oh. the stand. Um, you can see the, the, sort of the role he's playing in the team as well as a shot stopper. I mean, he's brought in for his technical ability, but I mean, talking about his shot stopping skills as well brings us on pretty nicely to the Shrewsbury game. Um, very, very different type of game. You'd say that Shrewsbury looked a lot more dangerous going forward than Crew did. Uh, they lined up with three at the back, so a bit of a different challenge for Pompey. Pompey were unchanged from the crew game, kept the winning lineup um, to try and repeat the uh, the achievement. Again, Tuesday night games, back under the lights. It was so good to see it back at Fratton. Um, also good to see Andy Cullen uh, was out and about by the Fratton end before the game, chatting to fans, answering questions about, you know, presumably ticket procedures um, over the last couple of weeks. But it's good to see him being there and just out front and centre, taking the questions himself and having conversations himself. Um, so, yeah, fair play to, to Andy for fronting up like that. Really good to see. Um, Fred, what was your prediction for this game from last week? Can you remember? Uh, absolutely not. 
okay, well. absolutely not. I think it was two 0 I think, but I'm, I, I, I could be chatting nonsense. I couldn't remember. You, you could have completely made something up there and made yourself sound like a genius. But mm. um, yeah, the, the game started, and you normally expect, you know, the start of the game a little bit of nerves, a bit of sort of feeling out the opposition. But we did not get that. The guys next to me, a couple of minutes late in because of the queues getting into the ground, they arrived a little bit late, missed the goal, only goal <laughs> of the game, which has got to be slightly frustrating after coming out on a uh, on a Tuesday night. But yeah, the early goal relaxed everything just a little bit. So it was lovely link-up play. It was ton of cliff and harness, about 20 yards out across the edge of the area. Um, I think what really created the goal was the first touch from Tunnicliffe to take the ball into a into a goal scoring position that sort of spotting a, a small amount of space in defence and then taking the ball into it with his right foot pretty much did all the hard work to create a fairly simple finish for himself that had possibly a, a slight deflection. Based on the crew game, Fred, was was the quick start what you were expecting or did you think it was going to be a bit more of a nervous opening? Uh, I thought they would look to do what they did in the crew game where they pressed from the word go and it definitely worked. The, the link-up play with Tony Cliff and Harness was excellent. Um, Harness was very close to um, losing the ball um, from the one-two, but Tony Cliff did exceptionally well to win the ball. And you said that touch of his right foot going in the gap between the centre-halves and that, and that shot was his weak foot as well. The weak foot finished low, hard into the corner. Um, very difficult chance to actually score, especially on the wrong foot. So yeah, it was a lovely start. Mm. And I think in, in terms of controlling the game, that was probably the peak moment that Pompey got to. The, the, you know, the following 87 minutes got slightly more of a struggle as they progressed, to be honest with you. Um, I think the first half, the standout players for me, Freeman was immense at right back. I think he, he had a solid enough game against Crew, but against Shrewsbury really stood out for me as probably you know our best player in the first half alongside Raggett. Um, who we'll speak about later on, who's been a, a machine at the start of this of this new season after, you know, jumping in and out of form a little bit over the last couple of years. He's hit the ground very much running in, uh, in the start of this season. We move into the second half, lose Harness and Robertson to Knox. Ogilvy comes on to play left centre-back. So he hasn't actually played left-back yet in a, in a league game for the club. Played centre-midfield uh, centre and centre-back. And Hadley comes on. And the second half really had a bit of a different feel to it from that um, than the first half. Fred, what what did Shrewsbury manage to do that Crew couldn't do? Because the second half against Crew, Pompey dominated. What was so different about the Shrewsbury game that put us under so much pressure into the second half? Uh, the ability to win the so to win the fifty fifty balls that was the big big thing. Uh, I don't have the exact stuff stat on me, but I looked at the duels win percentage for crew and it was ridiculously low. They just couldn't win the ball back when Pompey had possession. Even though Shrewsbury didn't have a lot of possession in that game, they still won the ball back incredibly well. They're a very physical side, which we knew they would be. And they caused a lot of damage because they had outlets for that for, for their physical play. Sam Crosgrove is a very good striker. Um, I, I think I was worried about him in the game, especially in the second half where they have very good centre-halves like Aaron Pierre, um, who puts a foot in regularly, won the ball back. And uh, from the word go, they were always looking to try and create that key chance. And they did a few times. Bazunu made about four fairly decent saves. The last one in stoppage time was the best one for me. And yeah, Pompey didn't have it. It, it didn't have it all their own way in the second half. And Cowley mentioned that after the game, where it was the lack of control. And I think that was down to Shrewsbury winning the ball back very well, but also the slightly disjointed 
uh, approach by Pompey simply because they had to make two subs at half time. So do you think it was those two subs that changed it? Because I, I think it's fair to say that in the last 20-ish minutes, Pompey lost their composure and control a little bit. Well, that, that might be understating it. They lost lost control of the game and lost their structure a bit, particularly in the last 15, 10 minutes. Do you think that's a fair comment, Fred? They lost their composure, they lost their structure. Was it really in doubt at any point with 2020 hindsight seeing a nice three points and a one-goal sort of deficit in the game? Was it really in doubt? Did you think that um, Pompey were in trouble? Um, yeah, I thought so. Just uh, just from the general play, um, looking at the expected goal stats, Shrewsbury didn't have that much. Um, it was only 0.6 XG, so they didn't create that close of a chance, but it was just the general play. They were very good. Overall. That surprises me. Yeah, their XG um, was so low. Their, big, said, their biggest chance was the Pierre header at the end. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I grabbed some stats here that, uh, from the third tier. Um, about Gavin Bazunu. So it played obviously nine, well, it says 90 minutes, played what, 113? Yeah, yeah, whatever that ridiculous off. amount of um, extra time was. I don't know where that came from. Yeah, well, the, the eight minutes was fair because the head clash was, you know, it was quite a lengthy stoppage. But I always actually bother looking at my watch at the start of extra time and I was thinking, right, that's eight minutes. Another minute went by. Okay, really definitely eight minutes. They played like 11. I'm not mm. entirely sure mm. where the extra three minutes came from. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and complain about the referee who I did think had a fairly poor game with probably as objective as possible. <laughs> yeah, it gave, gave everything to start with, booked Curtis fairly early on um, and then didn't seem to give anything off the ball. So with Marquis and Curtis being pulled down off the ball with the ball on the way to them, just didn't give a single free kick as far as I can remember for that. But Just the, just the was, classic inconsistent ref where he gives a lot and then just doesn't. Yeah, It's just periods so. where he thinks, oh, I've given too much here. I need to just let it go a bit for five to ten minutes, try and let the flow of the game come back in. And yeah, it's it, it seemed rough, rough from from the radio coverage that I was listening to. But yeah, um, overall, Pompey didn't great. They create, create that many chances. There was that lovely cross by Curtis, which Hackett Fairchild stretched for at the, uh, on the edge of the penalty area. Um, unlucky if if um, he was positioned slightly slightly differently, he might have got his head on it. I thought he had a solid game as well. But really, it was the back four that basically won Pompey this game, really, especially right at the end. Raggett was exceptional with his aer- with his aerial duels and his ability to man mark as well. And yeah, Bazuna with the key save at the end. And it, yeah, it, it all works out. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump back in with uh, the stats I started there because at the moment, what I've said from the third tier is that Bazuna played the whole game, which isn't exactly yes. rocket <laughs> Um, so yeah, 48 touches, which seems like quite a lot in one one match. Um, 75% pass completion, which is what we're talking about with distribution, 56% long ball accuracy, which I'd be really interested to see that compared to someone like Bass or McGillivray from last season. His distribution and long ball do seem, you know, accurate and well thought out. Seems very capable with his feet as well, which is obviously what the Cowleys are looking for with this playing out from the back style that they're trying to implement. I think, yeah, Curtis didn't quite happen for him with his feet. I don't think in this, but wasn't for lack of work ethic. Just some days it doesn't always come off. I actually thought he was really good in the air, um, which isn't something I'd normally say uh, about Ronan Curtis because it's not normally, you know, the strength that we, we aim to play from. But his cutting inside and, and flicking on with his head, he won a, a huge number of balls in the air, particularly in the second half, I noticed it. So I think, yeah, got to... Um, Got to give credit where it's due for that. It was just nice to be in a position with those nerves again. Again, with, with hindsight, <laughs> knowing we got the three points, I was wearing my Garmin 
And um, my resting heart rate is normally like, it's pretty low. I'm reasonably physically fit. It's like between 48 and 50, 52-ish when I'm chill. But I stood there, 157, uh, my heart rate was going at an injury time. What's wrong with you? (laughs) Honestly, almost medic, like my my average um, running heart rate is between 150 and 170, like a sustainable running heart rate. So I was was in my... So basically, your body thought as if you were going for a jog for the last I was in my aerobic training zone during injury time, stood completely still. I love football. At the time, I was saying how much I hated football, but I love football. It was good, <laughs> it was good especially seeing as we uh, we managed to see the game out. So, yeah, an enjoyable Tuesday evening. Three unbeaten in the league without conceding. Always nice to see Ipswich and Sunderland lose their games as well. I lay in bed that night and spent about 45 minutes just reading I, through I, Twitter. Ima- imagine a football club signing 16 players and then just not doing very well in their first well, three games. The thing is, they're all about, they're talking about how it takes time to gel, but we've got 12 new players in the squad and they seem to be gelling pretty well. Maybe that's the difference between Cowley and Cook in terms of how quick Did you see the Macaulay Bond miss in that game? Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> harder, harder to miss than it was to score. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, we're, we're, div- we're uh, digressing there, Freddie. We'll, uh, we'll wrap up the Shrewsbury game there. Okay, so on Twitter this week, we asked you guys with some strong signings on the bench, should Pompey be rotating at the starting 11 or keeping to a successful formula? So thank you very much, everyone, for getting in touch. It's always good to see a, a nice broad range of opinions. So, Fred, let's see what we end up with here. So we will kick these off with uh, Thurgs, Peter Thurgood. Thank you for getting in touch again, bud. It's clear to see that a few players have already cemented their positions I wouldn't mind a bit of rotation, providing they are against the right opponents. So I think I would say in response to that, that yeah, a large proportion of the team have absolutely cemented their positions. Let us know which you don't think have at this point, Peter. I'd be interested to know who you think is currently closest to the drop. Sort of on a similar note, Fred, who would the right opponents be, do you think, to try squad rotation? It's a tough one because um, (laughs) it would really depend on the players they're thinking of bringing in. If you wanted a slightly more defensive approach and you needed to lock, especially with a, a side with a very, very good right winger, you'd bring in Conor Ogilvie and play him left back so you could man mark him and lock him down. That's one big thing. Or if you just want, or a side that's looking looking with a five man midfield, you could drop the number 10 entirely and put Joe Morell in, who plays just in general a bit deeper. Or you can pay him at number 10 if you wanted. I think he's got the technical ability to do that to a certain extent. So, so that's the sort of thing where you'd want to change some of the personnel. So, so on Saturday, some of the personnel might have to be changed because um, Neil Allen mentioned that uh, it will be another 24 hours before Danny Cowley properly knows if Robertson and Harness will be available for Saturday. Obviously, with he, they, he mentioned it as impact injuries, which usually aren't that bad. Usually, it's like a week or so. Tell that to my arm when I fell off that bike just before we went up to Liverpool. For- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I yeah, like, yeah. Breaking point. three joints, I'd argue it was a fairly bad uh, impact yeah. injury. <laughs> oh, yeah, yes, good point. But but in his post match, he said um, he didn't he didn't infer that those injuries are really bad. It was more precautionary. So he might see some changes. So if Robertson. And Harness aren't there, then what would you change? You, you could bring Ogilvy in and play left-sided centre-half. That seems like the most obvious choice in that side. And then without the right wing, you, you probably look to put Hackett Fairchild on the right. Um, the last time I saw him there, he was a bit imbalanced because um, um, obviously being left-footed, 
he's cutting inside a lot and there are a few chances against Fleetwood where, where by the time he got it onto a strong foot, the chance had gone. But obviously that was first game of the season and he hadn't played a lot the season before, so it might have been rustiness there. And if, to reply, if you move Hackett Fairchild to the right to play in the wing, you can replace Morel and play him in the midfield free or slightly further forward. Or you could keep Hackett Fairchild in the middle and play Jacobs on the right, even though that's a bit different as well. So there are options, even though really it seems if there are a lot of injuries, Pompey could potentially drop down a lot because it looks like they've got a strong starting eleven so far. And that's the big thing. I don't think anybody in the current starting eleven is playing poorly and being carried. I think they've all, they all deserve their places on merit. So it would be very hard on uh, rotation. Having personally... They should keep it the same for as long as possible. And like, um, was it Peter who mentioned? Yep. If, if it's to match up a certain opposition, make one one or two changes to keep the cohesion, basically keep it as secure as possible, basically. What you said, just said there, Fred, actually ties in interestingly with something Lewis Peters has messaged in. Uh, thank you for messaging in there, Lewis. Um, I'd like to see what Morella and Jacobs can do, but only if Williams, Williams is feeling leggy or harness is out. A question for you guys... If Robertson is injured, which is what you just touched on there, Freddie, is potentially not being fit, should we play Ogilvy left centre-back or move Raggett over and bring in Downing, who is supposedly back from uh, from his injury and match fit? What are your thoughts on that, Fred? I think you'd bring Ogilvy left centre-half purely because he's he has minutes under his belt already. And Downing's coming back from the injury. To throw uh, to put Downing straight in, I think that might be a bit uh, expected if he's to play the full ninety, for example. That's a bit harsh considering he's coming straight back from injury. So to keep the side more cohesive, I'd play Ogovia less than a half, keep the balance as well by having a left footer and a right footer. Yeah, I, I agree there. with you. Yeah, I th- I'd absolutely agree with you there. I think I'm all for, like I said the other week. I'm all for the Downing redemption arc, and would be absolutely buzzing if he comes in and does well this season. And I think putting him in straight into a league game against Doncaster after a you know a bit of timeout would be kind of putting him up for. It might be a bit much for Downing to go straight from an injury and straight into the starting eleven for ninety minutes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd agree with you there, Fred. Alfredo twenty, the slightly more exotic version of you, Frederick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frederick, Frederick, uh, up the moves. Um, says Tunnicliffe and Williams have been a different class together. Raggett and Rico Hackett Fairchild look like brand new players, but until we put in a bad performance, keep this team going. I would, yeah, completely agree with that. I'm, I'm very much of the school of thought of if it ain't broke, don't fix it, which is a, a theme that comes through on on quite a few of the messages we've had in. Um, on a similar note, Toby at Pompey Passion, thanks for getting in touch. Never change a winning side. Simple as that. Willow and Tony being class, so can't drop either. Doncaster can be easily gotten at, so need to keep the attacking front the same for the high press, which means there's no space for new signings like Morell and Thompson in midfield. Andy Bastable made an interesting point in response to that, saying that the high press is, by definition, physically exhausting. It pretty much necessitates rotating the attacking players to allow them to physically do it, which I think is a, is a fair point. I do agree with Toby, who then said, without wanting to read this whole thread out, um, that's why you use subs. The current 11 haven't looked too leggy yet. If it isn't broke, don't fix it. Mm. Um, and I think, I mean, we've had two games in, what, four days um, at Fratton. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that, especially in, in centre-mid, I don't think they look that leggy. In, you know, 80 something minute, 
I watched Williams track back and completely match one of the the Shrewsbury players for pace coming back defensively, absolutely sprinting back from a fairly attacking position. So his fitness looks pretty good. Obviously, we don't want to run people into the ground to the point they get injured, which has happened before in the last couple of years at Pompey. But I think, you know, if they're, they're managing to complete two games within four days, and I mean, Williams played most of that. He came off sort of two thirds of the way through the game for Morel against Crew, didn't he? And then I th- did he play the full ninety? I think against Shrewsbury. So, yeah, I for, yeah for me, it's so it's a if it isn't broke, don't fix it. Which is something that Greg has buzzed in. Hi, Greg. Nice to nice to hear from you. Something Greg has buzzed in to say. Another question there from Andy Bastable, Fred. For you, then I'll, I'll fire this one at you. My question is, where do we think Morel fits into the team? Doesn't appear to be a direct replacement for either Williams or Tunnicliffe. Is there a change of system coming? I'm going to just completely backhand that one to you, Fred. Okay. Well, it's very interesting. I think if you had to say which one, which player Morel is most like, if you if you have to choose Tony Cliff or Williams, I think he, I think Morel is more like Tony Cliff with the more box to box edge. But like I mentioned in the last, so his his range of passing and passing going forward is it was excellent for Lincoln when he was in League One two seasons ago. And I think Danny Cowley will look for that if um, if he plays Morel. That's the interesting thing. If, if I do see him playing, I just think the area to take away is the number 10, which is harsh on Hackett Fairchild because I thought he's played really well there for the last two games since he's he's gone from he's gone from a loan spell at South End, which for any player's development is quite terrible because it's a relegation battle. It gives you a thick skin and strong mentality. But in terms of developing technically as a footballer, it's not the best environment to be in. He, Fairchild was very good at drifting into space, picking those pockets in between the opposition back four in the midfield, finding space. He's very good at that. So I don't think he's had a bad game. But I don't. I think Morel. I think for the balance of the side, if you if you are going to play him, I do think it will be a four three three, where you'll have Williams dropping back slightly. Um, the slightly more defensive option and just allowing Tony Cliff and Morel just to be box to box at both sides. And then you support both wings from there. Um, on the high press thing as well, it's, it, yes, it's a big thing. The players will get exhausted and that will impact the, it, Pompey further into the season, I think. Because you see that with a lot of sides. High pressing sides go very, very strong out the gate. They get loads of early points. But if fitness isn't managed properly throughout the season, they just fall off. And that is something that Danny Cowley's got to keep in mind. One good thing, though, is Pompey don't have a midweek game after Saturday. They have an entire week to rest and to train properly. So with that in mind, I don't see them rotating unless for the injuries we previously mentioned, because there's not the Tuesday game. They've got an entire week to rest up and then maybe change things from there. But I don't see... I don't see Cowley making those changes considering it's um, we're, Pompey have won three games on the on the bounce, three clean sheets and have played, I think, fairly well in all of those games. And it's Bazunu's net, I think, as yeah. well. Hard I don't think, argue with that. I don't think Bass has played badly as well. I don't think he's played badly. In the Millwall game, I think he could have done better with the first goal, I think. But I don't think he play, he's played poorly. But um, Bazunu's put himself straight into the side. And I think he is the preferred outlet due to his distribution and he's proven it. Um, with a shot stopping as well so yeah I don't think there'll be any changes unless forced 
yeah, I think he, he's one of those players that's kind of made themselves pretty undroppable at this point. I'll just go through a couple of other messages we've had in um, to sort of hit both sides of the argument. So make sure we're given like a nice even even distribution of responses. Um, so on the other side of it, we've got Jack Chapman. Thanks for getting in touch, Jack. Jack says, rotate the lineup. We've got a good squad, so give a few of the others a go. Although the last three league results and performances give Danny a selection headache, as I'm sure he will want to reward the players who have already performed well so far this season with regular starts. Yeah, it's a difficult thing to, to manage personalities who will want to play every single game. Um, Callum Dowse disagrees. Uh, thanks for getting in touch, Callum. Keep the same team at the minute. Only change if injuries require change. Three out of three, league wins, no goals conceded. The Cowleys are taking us up. Yes, Callum. <laughs> I do love that, though. One thing, Andy... I will ask if you if you were going to rotate some of these players, who do you, who would you bring in if you had to? That's a great question, Fred. Um, so if I have to make rotations for the next game, I would potentially bring in Jacobs at Cam and use Hackett Fairchild as an impact sub potentially later in the game. I'm assuming we're doing this purely based off tactical changes resting, not because of any potential injuries. Yeah, assume, um, that, assume that Robertson and Harness okay. recover from their knocks for Saturday. I'd like to see Jacob start. I'd like to see him get some minutes under his belt. I absolutely rate him. Um, other than that, I <laughs> the players you would potentially bring in, I don't think you you can drop people for. I I, I rate Joe Morrell and with my Welsh, shirt, Welsh hat on, I want to see him get as many minutes as possible and he's a quality player. But at the same time, I don't think completely reshuffling the formation is a great shout at this choice, uh, is a great choice at this point. And I don't think we can drop Tunnel Cliff or Williams, performance-based. And this early in the season, I, I wouldn't expect them to have any fatigue issues. And similarly with Ogilvy, yeah, absolutely quality player from what we've seen of him at Gillingham. But for me, Lee Brown's made himself pretty undroppable, both defensively and going forwards. And I think he linked up really well with Curtis in the last couple of games, as you know, they, they do always tend to do. They're a pretty consistent partnership down the left. I struggle to make any changes really looking at that team. I'm keeping John Marquis up top. I'm just potentially changing that that last little outlet up to Marquis by bringing in Jacobs. And that's the only change I potentially make. Yeah, I think it is it is very tough. I wouldn't make any changes at all, but if I had to, I would probably give Morel a go purely because of his because of the because of the quality we know he has and try him at Cam. Try him further forward and if it doesn't and if it doesn't if that doesn't work and Pompey don't control the midfield, go to a 4-3-3 and match up Doncaster's 4-3-3. Cowley did that in the Fleetwood game where he started with the 4-4-2. Didn't uh, Pompey didn't impact the midfield enough? Then dropped one of them back and was more like a four four two three one to match them up, and they played much better. So that's one that's potentially one of the changes I would make. But really, I wouldn't do that before the game. I would do, I would I, that, that's a sub that you could be done at half time to flip a game, change it on its head, and make the Rovers players think a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I'll just finish off with a couple more of these threads. So JC, thank you for getting in touch. JC says, maybe play Tunnicliffe in Cam to fit Morel into the team. But at the same time, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Squad looking strong, but injuries to key players could cost us without more squad depth, especially at centre-back and up top. And I completely agree with particularly us needing centre-back cover. I think mm. Robertson and mm. Raggett looked fantastic in the last couple of games, but 
I think the fact that, you know, the first, yes, Downing's been out with an eagle, but it was Ogilvy coming in to play left centre back, which I don't think is a brilliant option. He's for the used whole to playing left centre back in a free as well. It's, it's so. not, yeah, I don't think it's optimising him as a player in the squad if we're, if we're putting him in that position. Mm-hmm. So I'd certainly agree with that. Um, Cowley's Cows, lovely to hear from you again, mate. Um, this early, it's building partnerships and momentum that's priority over rotation. Subs have had less minutes pre-season, so naturally aren't going to be as sharp. The drop-off in quality isn't there, unlike previous years with subs. It's a case of take your opportunity rather than rotate. I think I agree with all of I that. Think we both think, do, yeah. Yeah, they've, they've taken Absolutely. their opportunities because, so far. Um, yeah, like I said, if there's, no, if there's no Tuesday night game, you can get away with not rotating because you've got that extra time for the first-team players to re- regain that, uh, regain that uh, energy again. And the, the the big point there, cohesion. The more minutes that Raggett and Robertson have to get this together, the better, because centre half partnerships very po- uh, re- successful teams rely on that. Successful teams also rely on partnerships in the midfield and knowing where everybody's going to be. So you you do always want to play your starting eleven wherever you can. Your strongest eleven, and I think. Isn't it refreshing that we're three games in and we can pretty much say roughly what the strong starting eleven is? And you look at the bench and go, "Oh, you can you could put you could play Ogilvy instead of Brown, or you can play Morel further forward, or you can play further back." Pompey do have some some of those options, so the squad depth isn't as paper thin as it was before the start of the season. That's a good thing. But yeah, starting eleven first, and then when the games come thick and fast, then you can rotate it a little bit more. Yeah, I think what's reassuring with that is that Danny Cowley has basically come out and said that, you know, there are, there is going to be at least one more signing. It was potentially going to be before the Shrewsbury game. It turned out not to go through before that time. Um, but they're not just sitting on their laurels and thinking what we've got is enough at this point. They're as aware as, as we are as fans that potentially there's a couple of holes there that still need cover or need filling. Um, I'll just do a couple more of these, Fred, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap things up. So, George Slatcher, thanks for messaging in, George. Uh, says, still in need of a cam, in my opinion. Rico's been okay. I just think we need better to finish the 11 on field. So George has identified cam as potentially the... It's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing. (sighs) How many good cams are left? I think all the good ones that we mentioned on the transfer specials have pretty much been taken. Dan Crowley's still without a club, who, if you are looking to bring in a cam, which I don't think Cowley will do, to be honest. Because I think if, for example, there's one slot left in his mind, I think he'd rather bring in another centre-half. So you have four natural centre-halves covering those two spots. Dan Crowley would be an excellent signing to play at Cam, even though Hagen Verchals played really well there. But we'll, but we'll have to see. I, I, I do think that argument has... <laughs> the, the argument for Pompey needing a Cam has been around for so long that yeah. it, it might just be carrying on from that I think I do to a certain extent it's the weakest area on the pitch to an extent but I think Hackett and Fairchild's played well enough so far to warrant being trusted yeah. I think I think it's going to take a, a few games for him to really get his confidence in League One because he got what was it like a year and a half or something between league starts after mm. kind of getting just dropped by Jacket um, yeah so yeah and then he had that half season at South End where he went off like a train but then dropped like with the rest of the team so it's just about bedding and easing him in, I think. And if yeah. that's the and if that's the position to switch, you think that he's a bit behind, purely down to fitness reasons. Then I could you could potentially see a change there, but not for the rest of the team, I don't think. 
it's a fair argument for that. Um, final one for today is from Pompey and Gam in Canberra, our friends down under, um, who says, I don't think a few tweaks will upset the momentum too much. I'd like to see what Morel can do. So given William's age, maybe a straight swap with him. Uh, yeah, I think there, there's an argument for that, especially if there are you're going through sort of the Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday sort of game congestion spells. I think we're less likely to see that at the moment where we've got a Saturday than a Saturday and, and no midweek. But again, like you said there, Fred, it's nice to have an idea of what your strongest 11 is, but be able to go, oh, actually, we could bring in X for Y or B for C. Well, yeah, without, without it, thinking the squad will just fall to bits. Yeah, exactly. And obviously that's position dependent. I think that's certainly more the case in positions like, you know, left back or, or centre mid than other. Or right back, yeah. Yeah, or right back, exactly, yeah. That's certainly more the case there than it would be potentially at centre back. Um, but at the same time, we're getting there and... Yeah, compared to where we were a couple of weeks before the season started, it's like night and day, isn't it? And I'm certainly not complaining what the squad's looking like now compared to, you know, some of the concerns that a lot of Pompey fans, myself included, had a few weeks out, that there were some quite, you know, large... Yeah, we only had two centre midfielders before the start of the season. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just not a position you want to be in, is it? But yeah, thank you very much to everyone who got in touch. Sorry if we couldn't read your message out this week. We are trying to not run a two-hour podcast. Um, we do get a lot of them, and I fully appreciate all of them. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's, it's always good to hear some opinions um, outside of our, our group. So we are joined by Dan, who is a, a vlogger and content creator relating to Doncaster Rovers. Dan, thank you so much for coming on the pod to preview the Doncaster game this weekend coming up. How are you doing? No worries. Thank you for the for the invite. It's it's appreciated. I'm I'm doing well considering the start to the season that we've had. <laughs> yes, I, I guess it makes sense to start on that slightly uncomfortable note for you. Um, three games in, Doncaster sit twenty third, no points, one goal. Uh, after games against Accrington Stanley, Sheffield Wednesday, and Wimbledon, so. Could you give a sort of a brief brief overview as to what's happened so far and why things look like from the outside they've gone pretty badly wrong? So I think the end to the season that we had last year uh, from kind of Christmas to the end of the season is well publicised. I think people saw us looking like we were kind of tipped for top two and then we finished 14th. And it seems like that's kind of carried over into this season but it's a completely new crop of players it's a new manager um, so I think it is just time or giving the, the players time to to get to know each other pre-season was interrupted by Covid so I think we're a couple of weeks behind um, and our three main attackers the two wingers and, and the striker are all out injured until November, December time so it's, it's a tough start to the season but for me performance level is, is big uh, at League One and Two out of the three games, the performance level has just not been up to the standard that I think Richie Wellings would expect from a from his team. Uh, the AFC Wimbledon game would just look so disjointed, whereas Wimbledon looked a solid unit, they looked compact, looked organised. Um, we were the total opposite in that game and deserved to to get beat on the day. I think it looked like we were turning a corner against Sheffield Wednesday. I think we matched them for 65 to 70 minutes, but then Barry Bannon quality shone through with a superb strike and and then the second goal uh, came quickly after and kind of killed that game. And then by the sounds of social media, we, revert, we reverted back to what we were doing at AFC Wimbledon on Tuesday night against Accrington. So it's uh, it swings and roundabouts at the minute. Not sure what we're going to 
what we're going to get on on Saturday. I think against bigger teams like yourself and Sheffield Wednesday in in, in the division, we seem to up our game and. Hopefully that's the case on Saturday, but I just can't see where we're going to get goals from at the minute. I wanted to start on Richie Wellens because because of last season with Darren Moore leaving, obviously a very good manager of Doncaster. I picked that I picked them for playoffs at least under him, and it seemed it seemed when Andy Butler took over from Darren Moore, it seemed like he was trying to hopefully carry on from where he left off, but it didn't. Is Richie as Richie Wellens for you implemented? a noticeable style of play difference or is it obvious what he's trying to get out of the players at the moment? Yeah, I think Darren Moore's a lot more structured. I think he's more defensively minded and he has a he has a, a unit set up to kind of defend the goal whereas Richie seems to want to press a little bit more, um, put the pressure on teams. And we are seeing that, but I just don't think we've got the, the players currently in the starting eleven to to be able to, to sustain that for 90 minutes. Who who are the players that are injured that you that you referred to earlier and how how big of a miss are they? I'd I'd expect them to be in the starting eleven. Uh, one of the first names on the team sheet there's Okanabiri up front um, who scored 13 or 14 goals last season. Um Hiwula on the left who's a new signing this summer and John Taylor on the right who got injured last season as well. So Hiwula and Taylor would give us quite a lot of pace which would help us get in behind defences in League One and then our current kind of goal threats at the minute is Thiago Chikor from Watford and Omar Bogle um, both who are just not doing enough at the minute A lot of ex-Pompey players mentioned which is always what we like to hear <laughs> Yeah, you got Hiwula and Bogle there both both well known to the Pompey fan base um, and close as well. well he's looking I was going to say yeah that, that was the next question uh, someone known intimately well by the Pompey fan base is Ben Close how has he settled into to life at yours? I like the look of it uh, from what I've seen I think he's, he's slotted well into the midfield alongside uh, Bostock who's been kind of the shining light for the first three games his, his passing ability has been fantastic I think him and Ben Close uh, him and Ben Close next to each other I think when it all clicks we will be a good team but it's just the, the depth in the squad is just not there and that's that's concerning especially with uh, how the world is at the minute So do you, do you just think that Rovers just lack an outlet for all that good work in the midfield in general? Yeah yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that I think defensively we, we look solid enough I know we've, we've, we've conceded a few goals to begin with but they've, they've been we've been on the receiving end of tight games um, I don't think we've kind of been outplayed or we've looked under any sort of threat it's just little decision making that you think should be pretty standard decision making for a footballer it's kind of lack of concentration a little bit I think if we had a goal scorer or somebody to get on to the end of the chances that Close and Bostock are creating then you'd like to think that we'd be out of sight and those mistakes wouldn't be as as obvious but here's what it is at the minute I think you don't sound too downbeat based on the performances. I mean, just before we started recording, you were saying there's been some sort of individual errors that have cost you, particularly in, in the goalkeeper region. Um, yeah. So based on that, what before the season started, what would your average Doncaster fan have said was a, a successful season, do you think? And, and has that changed already after three games or do you think it's still aiming for around the same? Um, I think we're still aiming for around the same. I think the average... Rovers fan. I mean, the club have been quite open and honest uh, with the communications over the summer. Um, they've said that we've not really got 
that much in terms of a budget compared to other teams in the league. And it's all about a kind of a transitional period with Richie coming in over the summer. Um, and it's more about consolidation this year, starting to build a squad because we have relied heavily on loans for, for a couple of seasons. And I think that's starting to, to bite us now because we've not got a settled squad and it's constantly rebuilding every single season. Whereas this year we've, we've seen to have brought more permanent players in. I think a couple more um, transfer windows, we'll start to see that squad develop and kind of get to know each other a little bit more. So I think cautious optimism at the start of the season. Um, not the greatest start, but I still think when it clicks, when players are coming back, I think we'll be okay in a, a solid mid-table. I think other fans would probably agree with that. That's a very interesting point you made about loans because um, I had that worry depending on how Portsmouth are going to approach the transfer window because obviously you see loads of very good loan players come into the league. They often light it up. They're often very good. They give you they give your team a, a little bit of a, a boost to where you didn't expect them to be. Are you happy with the change in philosophy now just to, with the team focusing on a more of a long-term perspective by trying to build a squad rather than trying to go back to the loan market repeatedly to try and push your squad a bit further? Yeah, I think the loan market is a very good tool to use, as you say, to kind of add that little bit of quality from kind of a younger Premier League team, um, something like that. And we had a couple of loanees last season that did add that bit of quality to the squad. But I think just kind of relying on them, last season we had seven. I think you can only have five in a matchday squad. Um, so we over-relied on loans. I think getting that balance between permanent players and loanees is, is key. Um, we've, we've got a couple of loanees. We've got Matt Smith from Arsenal, uh, Dahlberg, Chikurbo from Watford. So we are utilising the loan market, but I think we're utilising it better in terms of that balance between our players and, and players that we're borrowing. That's interesting. So so based off that then, what what formation are Portsmouth likely to be coming up against on Saturday? Um, so what, what formation are we likely to come up against where would you say that Donny are going to be strongest and where do Pompey need to be cautious? I'm, I'm assuming you're, you're going to say your weakest in the goal-scoring region based off what you've said so far. But yeah, where are your strengths and weaknesses in that formation? So the formation that I'm expecting Richie to play would be a 4-3-3. Um, I think we are strong defensively, but like I say, there's just kind of individual errors and kind of lack of composure here and there. So I think with, with John Marquis... We know him all too well. I think he'll he'll have a good a good afternoon on Saturday. I think if we can win the midfield battle, we've got we've we've got as good a chance as, as yourselves from from getting getting points. But weakest areas up front, we've just we're we're just very toothless up there at the minute, and we look like we're we're struggling to kind of get onto the end of any sort of chances and and create any meaningful shots against Accrington. We have no shots on target, which is not very good. I think another thing to mention is obviously your fans being back in the stadium. Do you think that's really given um, the squad a lift? Because being a Northern-based Ports Pompey supporter, I've been to the Keep Keep a fair few times, too many times for some people. But um, do you think the fans really have given that given that lift rather than playing an empty stadium? I believe so. Yeah, I think wherever you go, the fans are the fans are the twelfth man. Um, but they can also have that negative effect. I think after three three games where we kind of looked at it and thought we'd probably be on four or six points and we've not we've not registered a point yet. I think it could turn not nasty, but I think it could turn sour pretty quickly if if you guys turn up and, and put pressure on us early on. If it's as a, an early goal as what it was against Accrington, I think I think the home crowd could turn, which 
again, it, it, it makes us, the, the players on the pitch a little bit more nervy. Um, those individual errors probably creep in a little bit more. I think we saw last season behind closed doors, games were a little bit more tactical and teams seemed to stick to kind of the philosophy a little bit more and didn't really get too panicked. I think fans can have positive and negative effects. So hopefully on Saturday we get the positive from that one, fans. Dan, one, one of the things that is sort of the new Cowley-Portsmouth is trying to apply a high press and win the ball back as high up the pitch as possible and force mistakes from the opposition back four, back three, whatever, and just sort of force them into quicker decisions and you know potentially losing possession. Is that something that you think the Doncaster back four line up well against in terms of composure on the ball? Or is it a, a high press, something that worries you based on what you've seen from other, other teams trying to implement it? From what I've seen this season, I think I think the right back Noyle will be able to cope with a high press. I think he's he's handy on the ball. Tommy Rowe is probably, in my opinion, one of the best left backs in the league. I think he'd be better playing in midfield, um, but I'm not the manager. <laughs> uh, Tom Anderson is a good defender. I think he'll cope with the press. The one that I'm a little unsure about is Roe Sean Williams. I think he's prone to a to a mistake if he's put under a lot of pressure. But he does like to carry the ball out, so that does leave gaps in behind sometimes. I think it's a very good signing, though, Roshan Williams, seeing him from Shrewsbury. He seemed like a, 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 a more than a standard centre-half, even though Shrewsbury obviously rely on the physical side of the game. Do you, is that the main outlet from the defence for you, Roshan Williams, using his range of passing, like you mentioned? Yeah, it seems so. To For now, we do like to play out from the back. Um, I think the the outlets are Tommy Rowe and, and Kyle Noyle down the wings. But if, they're, if them options aren't available... Ron Sean is, is very comfortable with the ball at his feet. But like I say, sometimes when the high press is on, it does look a little prone to, to an error or two. I guess the, the final question from us then is, uh, what are your predictions for the weekend? We like putting people on the spot, Dan. So uh, what's your prediction for Saturday? Well, I've just put my prediction together um, and I'm not happy to say this, but I've gone with 3-0 to Portsmouth. Um, I just think the confidence is low. I can't see a scoring. I think you guys have come in with great form. Um, I just think that your squad just may be too much for us on the day. I hope I'm wrong, but there's just something that's saying that we could uh, we could struggle on Saturday. It's a very sad prediction. It's a very uh, sad prediction. Do, 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 do you think the team can turn it around, though? Because obviously, even after the Portsmouth game, it's only four games into the season. Yeah, I think... I've seen meltdowns on social media and I think I think they're very premature. Like I say, players coming in, we're not at the end of the transfer window. We're asking for, or, or Richie Wellens is asking for for a little bit more budget to, to bring a few more players in. I think if those players do come in, it'll add that little bit of depth that we need to the squad. The players coming back from injury, um, I think that'll add a different dimension to what we've currently got. We're not a million miles away. Um, we're just failing at that final hurdle in that final third and if you're not getting shots off, you're not going to win games. And with the same front three or or switching it to a front two, I just can't see us scoring goals. Well, hopefully it clicks next week uh, rather than this week and comes together in a, in a big way um, after Saturday. While we're doing predictions, Fred, um, do you want to hit us with uh, yours? Do you agree with the 3-0 or are you going for something slightly different? Look, like Dan mentioned, with Doncaster being very good defensively, it will it, it will entirely depend on if Pompey can get a goal early. If they get if they can't, then Doncaster can build on their strengths. I think, but I think the way that Pompey are playing at the moment, I don't see them not winning the game. Even though that's a bit 
That's a, that's a bit overly confident to say. I think it would be a 2 0 Portsmouth win. With which goal scorers? Oof, goal scorers as well. Um, hey, if we humor puts <laughs> us on the spot. I'm I'm just passing it on. <laughs> I think Tony Cliff will get an, uh, will add to his uh, tie from Tuesday. He's just playing exceptionally well. Excellent box box player at both ends of the pitch, and uh, I think Ronan Curtis will break. It uh, will break into it, cutting from the left and do very well. So yeah, C- Curtis and Tony Cliff for those goals. Nice. I'm going with a. I'll go. Th- You've taken the two most common results. I'll go with a, or the two most likely results. I'll go with another nail-biting 1-0 Pompey win, I think. Um, I'll go with Ronan Curtis to open his account um, for the season. So hopefully all three of us have nailed that prediction with a, a three points for Pompey. Dan, thank you so much for coming on for the preview. Can you uh, let our listeners know where we can find you online for your for your vlog work and your, your overall Doncaster content? Yeah, so social media and YouTube is, if you search 18 Dapper, um, you should come across me. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Pompey fans, go and have a, a watch on YouTube. And also, Dan, it has to be mentioned, his content is also available on the Fan Hub app, which oh, all of Pompey News Now stuff is also on there. When we And the PO forecast as well, all on that app if you've friend. got in. <laughs> yeah, I think Pompey are, Pompey are top of Fan Hub now, aren't they? On the average points, I think. I think we're the top club in the Football League. So, yeah, we... Uh, Need to hold on to that for another 43 weeks. Imagine doing the fan hub and League One double. What what a season. The most prestigious double. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Jump out of the FA Cup in the third round or second round just to just make sure we get the fan hub league double. That's the that's the one that everyone wants, right? <laughs> <laughs> Dan, thank you so much for coming on. Much appreciated. Wicked. Thank you very much, guys. Only other news that I could think of, Fred, unless you've got anything, is that the Pompey Plymouth game has been postponed for international call-ups. That was Fairly inevitable, I think, but it does mean... Is that Plymouth two... international call-ups or Pompey's? I'd imagine it'll be Pompey. I, I think Curtis, potentially Bazunu, who else is likely to get called up, potentially Harness into Republic of Ireland. And Morel. And Morel for Wales. Yeah, yeah I really should have picked up on that one, shouldn't I? Yeah, I think <laughs> I think we'll hit the, the quota needed, but it does mean, yeah, no Pompey home game for a month after after two within four days, which is... That's very sad. That's very, very sad. sad. Yeah. But yeah, Fred, if you've got anything else you want to want to include this week that's everything I had noted down from a busy few days uh, that's pretty much everything I think so um, I mentioned all the stat stuff for each game that I wrote down but yeah I think to sum it up Pompey have played extremely well and the last point I'll make is some people might think that Shrewsbury game was winning ugly some people thought that of the Fleetwood game as well I was there and that's the game where, where you thought Pompey just took their chances and Took a while, definitely a while to gel because the first half in that game was uh, a bit ropey, mainly because of Williams being not involved. But uh, and we it, we talked we've talked about winning ugly a lot uh, last year, and whether it's a good thing for the entire season or whether it will come to bite to bite Pompey when it matters right at the end, um, because we talked about that tactically and so on. But I, I think that my current stance on that is. This is a completely different side and it's gelling really well. Completely different side, completely different style of play, different personnel. It's in, it's in an entirely different spot to where Pompey were last season, where the expectation is fully promotion because it was a settled side most for the majority of the time. And settled tactics as well, whether you thought they were the, they whether you thought they would get the best out of the players or not. So I think winning ugly at the moment is fine. 
it's fine. It's down to results to start with and seeing incremental improvements game by game. And I think Pompey have definitely had that. That we had the game against Fleetwood where Poppy took their chances and um, improved gradually throughout the second half. You had the Crew game where the Blues completely des- completely destroyed Crew, controlled the entire game, pressed high, and then the Shrewsbury game, which was the difficult one, where they scored early, pressed for a fair portion of the game, and that came up in the statistics. But then Shrewsbury got back into the game with a physical style, and the Blues had to rely on the defence a bit more. So we've had different types of the teams had different types of scenarios and passed all of them already, which is very encouraging. I'm not sure what you think of that little diatribe to sum, it, sum everything up. Yeah, I think that's fairly fair, Fred. I think the, the one thing for me to take, or one of the things I've taken away was potentially a slightly different response to the Shrewsbury game in that I do feel under jackets, the response from the manager would have been, yeah, we won ugly, we dug in, we escaped at the end a bit, but that was good heart and commitment from the team. Whereas Danny Cowley came out and said, we didn't really see the game out the way I would want us to. We're going to work on that. And I think that's a, a bit of a different takeaway message. And I, I don't think the Cowleys were completely happy with how the squad saw the game out against Shrewsbury. Obviously brilliant that we took home the three points and it was a positive performance. And as we've already covered this week, but I, I think that they've identified things to work on even from, from the victories, which is are going to be huge going forward. Because I think maybe five, six, seven times out of 10, Shrewsbury get an equaliser if we play that game the way it panned out on repeat. And I don't think that's what they're going to be entirely happy with because it did get a little bit panicky towards the end. Um, And yeah, Tuesday night under lights, nervous. It's a bit of a, you know, a nervous atmosphere. So glad to get out with three points from both games. Absolutely. Fred, always a pleasure. Never a chore. Thank you everyone for listening. Um, Hugh Bunce, Get well soon. Keep drinking the whiskey. Get that throat better. Get your headache better. And fingers crossed, he will be back next week to to lead the way and minimise the amount of drivel that Fred and myself come out with. So everyone, have a fantastic week. Uh, we will see you next week. And until next time, play up Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!